podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Welcome to the Analyst Inside Cricket. I'm Simon Hughes and we're now sponsored by Royal London. As well as being proud sponsors of One Day Cricket, Royal London is the UK's largest mutual life pensions and investment company providing financial services to millions of people across the country. To find out more about Royal London, visit www.royallondon.com. And the international season starts on Friday in Bristol with a Royal London One Day International against Ireland. What chance of Ireland repeating their heroics of Bangalore five years ago when they play England in England for the first time? Or has their cricket stagnated a little bit since then, just at the time when they're about to be granted test status? And I'm Simon Mann. As Joe Root prepares for his first summer in charge of England, we'll also be talking captaincy in county cricket this summer. That's over championship and white ball cricket. There have been 13 changes of skipper, the likes of Tom Abel down there at Somerset and Gary Balance at Yorkshire. A former England captain will tell us how much pressure there is on a captain these days. It's a bit like being a football manager, actually, isn't it? The fact that captains are often changed after only a couple of years. Please leave a review of this podcast on iTunes. You can subscribe to the Analyst Inside Cricket so you get the programme automatically each week. Just click on the button where it says subscribe and please send those reviews in because it's really helpful for us to know what kind of things you want us to talk about. And just a reminder, we'll be releasing a podcast every Monday night throughout the summer. So, the international summer is just about upon us. Friday, Bristol Bristol on on, uh, City, uh, Simon, not town, City. Pardon me. On uh, Friday and then uh, Lords on Sunday, which is, that's, that's a massive occasion for Ireland at Lords on Sunday. But you know, it's great they've got a chance to play at last to play England in England. I just wonder about uh, Ireland's cricket. If you look at their lineup, look at the squad they've selected. They had that amazing win against England in in Bangalore five years ago in in the World Cup. If you look at their batting lineups, it's practically the same. Andrew Balburnie is is in the squad now. The bowling has has changed, but and how much have they? How much have they progressed? I mean, they're, they're, they're getting older, those, those top-order batsmen. I think it's a problem that they haven't yet kind of quite worked out how to deal with because we were at that game in Bangalore when England lost... And it was a brilliant performance. I remember Kevin O'Brien smacking that incredible hundred. That was one of the great, great, greatest one-day innings. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I think we've only learned since then how easy it is to hit sixes in Bangalore, actually, because, you know, we go on about it quite a bit in the IPL, 2,500-foot elevation. It just seems to, ball carries, it seems to carry easily for six there. But still, it was the most phenomenal performance by an Irish team. And you thought that would be the... The, the catalyst for Ireland really emerging as a, as a fantastic team uh, in one-day cricket and possibly even in test cricket. And actually, they have stagnated a bit because, as you rightly point out, the batsmen haven't really come through. So they're still relying on the likes of Ed Joyce, who's 38. 38, yeah. And uh, Niall O'Brien. 35. 30s as well. William Portfield, a bit younger. He's but, 32. Yeah. Kevin O'Brien's 33. I mean, some of these guys have had county experience, which has been very valuable, but there isn't really the young players coming through to to push them, which just suggests to me that their their team is perhaps not as good as it was actually five years ago. And England's team is probably much better, isn't it? I know they're, they're missing a few. I know Stokes and Wokes and Butler for this series. But England look serious now in one-day cricket, whereas... Yeah, I in mean, that World Cup they didn't. That's right. And of course, Strauss was was captain of that of that side, and in fact, he he played well in that in that World Cup in two thousand eleven. But England was certainly still playing 
the, the slightly old-fashioned type of one-day cricket with people like Ian Bell and, and Trot in the team. And it was only really over the last year, as you say, that they've really surged ahead. And now they're scoring at a run rate of about 6.5 and over. Ireland, I mean, wonderful cricketing heritage. I first went there in the 1980s playing for Middlesex. And you thought, actually, when you went to Ireland, well, they won't know anything about cricket. You know, they're famous for Gaelic football and rugby and so on. But actually, they, they're Irish cricket goes back 100 years and they beat the West Indies in the, the late 60s, didn't they? And they had fine cricketers, of course, some of them now playing for England, like Owen Morgan. They've never managed to really establish themselves, have they, significantly in international cricket. They've had little periods where they've been good, but they haven't been able to sustain it. But, I mean, I gather now the, the participation has quadrupled and they're starting to invest in facilities. You know, we we played on terrible pitches when we went over there. The, the, the ball barely bounced, and those little tiny sort of medium paces with the keeper standing up were almost impossible to hit. But that's not going to get them very far in cricket internationally. Those little dobbers. So the, the facilities need to improve, and, and gradually they are. But there's a time lag. Well, they, but they are going to get test status, which you would hope and you'd think would give a huge boost to their cricket. I mean, that, that really is going to make a significant difference, or, or at least it should do, the fact they have that, that status. Yeah, and, and they've, as a result of that, they've brought in a first-class structure with, I think, four teams. The first ever first-class match in Ireland is going to be played at the end of May between, I think it's North West Frontier and the North or something. So, you know, they're doing it in a very sort of divisional way, mm. dividing up the the country into regions and playing it that way. But still, the facilities are not great. They've bought, made one new ground at Malahide, but you know they're still playing on club grounds, on club pitches. The weather isn't necessarily a help because it obviously rains a lot. It must be so hard to get the pitches to be good pitches to bat on, but that has to be their aim. They had a, a series where they, they weren't hindered by the weather at all because they played the series in, in India, actually, and just, just outside Delhi. They played a whole, whole heap of matches against Afghanistan. They played uh, 20, 20 matches. They played one-day international matches against them, and they played a first-class match, the Intercontinental Cup. And it didn't go particularly well for them. They, they lost 3-0 in T20s. They were beaten by an innings by Afghanistan in the first-class match, and they lost the, the one-day series 3-2. That was in, in March. I mean, you, you'd think the conditions that would like to favour Afghanistan more... Than Ireland, but I just you wonder whether there are other teams. Well, certainly Afghanistan is creeping ahead of them. But you know, test status uh, that that is surely going to be uh, the, the real the kick that they need to, to you know to see whether they can actually make it work. I and mean, that's the thing is you don't, you don't, they don't know yet, do they? I mean, once once but once you've given that status, when you have the chance to play a test match. Uh, look at teams like Bangladesh. It took them a long time. New Zealand it took them a long time. Sri Lanka it took them a long time. But you know, Sri Lanka won the World Cup in in 1996. You know, different cricketing heritage, of course. But once you're given that impetus, then it, it can work out. And Bangladesh is showing that now, aren't they? And lots of people said, "Oh, they, you know, they shouldn't be a, a test playing nation." You know, but the, the fanaticism for the game there demands it. Seems to me. And now they're just beginning to thrive. Aren't well, they? and you know, look at the cricketers that they've produced. Obviously, Owen Morgan, Boyd Rankin, who's not going to be playing in this uh, current One Day International series because he's injured. 
uh, Ed Joyce himself, who who played some one-day internationals for England before going back to play for Ireland. I saw him score 100 at Sydney against Australia. Yeah, you know, they, they are producing fine cricketers. They just need a few more, and they need a bit more investment, and they're going to get the investment because once they get test status, they're going to get, I think, €10 million Euros a year or something to, to really build their facilities, and I think that's the area that, that needs the most work. And in fact, I spoke to Ed Joyce, who's their you know, veteran player, leading run scorer, etc. He'll be playing in these two one-day internationals. He's now back in Ireland playing club and, and regional cricket rather than playing for Sussex. And looking ahead to these two one-day games that Ireland have got in England, he said that the preparations have been slightly tricky. This time round, we've had uh, outdoor nets here in one of the club grounds in, in Dublin for the last two or three weeks, which has been pretty good, actually. We've had good weather over here, which is unusual for April, which has been nice getting outdoors because that's not been the way it's been for, for some of the guys over the last number of years. You know, it's been tough for the guys based in Ireland to be as prepared as the guys playing county cricket. So it's been one of the issues we've had, obviously trying to improve that. And just in the next weekend, playing a, a club game from, from Merion, which is in uh, in uh, Dublin. Um, so playing a club game, my little brother Dominic is the captain. And uh, then we have a Leinster Lion game which is a List A game on um, Monday. So that's obviously the newly given List A status with a three-day competition being given first-class status. So, um, yeah, playing uh, a game for Leinster, a 50-over game on, uh, against the Northwest on Monday. So that's the two games. So it's a club game on Saturday, uh, interprovincial game on Monday, and then uh, against England. So two games against England. So um, different from before, but it's what it is, and, and uh, you know, we'll, we'll make the best of it. Obviously, there's excitement that you know you've been given these two one-day games, and there's against England in England. But is there a feeling? Is it sort of mixed feelings in a way as well? Because the game hasn't kind of progressed quite as fast as people perhaps thought it would. Yeah, I guess you're talking about performances over the last two years. Since since the last World Cup, we've we've we struggled to hit the heights we did before that. That's for sure. I mean, there's, there's a few reasons for that. The main one being that we've had three or four, you know, big uh, retirements from from our point of view. You know, it's very difficult for us to replace guys like that. You know, your Johnsons and your Moonies and Cusacks and people like that. So you know, the guys who played a lot a lot over a very strong period have retired, and and some of the other guys obviously getting on in age as well from from that you know very good team of those two World Cups so you know we, we've struggled to replace those guys so we've had a tough 18 months we've got a lot of new young fellas coming into the team especially in the bowling department and you know it's fair to say we've struggled to, to really perform to the levels that we had before you know we had a poor series against Pakistan last year we struggled against Sri Lanka um, you know and Afghanistan you know we lost 3-2 to Afghanistan and India but that was recently we actually played quite well in that in that in that uh, series and without Rashid Khan I think we would have won that series 4-1 you know, so you know, everyone's seeing how good he is in the IPL now. So, you know, we feel like we can be competitive, um, especially in our own conditions. You know, England and May should be pretty similar to what it is in Ireland. So, you know, we're, we're hoping to get back um, to the way we used to play and, and to put in good performances more than anything else. Because we talked a lot about trying to win, like, lots of games in the last two years and perhaps unrealistically so with the resources that we have. So um, we're really looking forward to these games. Um, Test cricket on the horizon looks like it's even close with the last couple of the last couple of days which is both exciting and frightening in its own way i guess um and uh, what you're alluding to i guess is that you know it, are we ready for it i don't think any team is ever ready for for test cricket really when they first come on the on the scene so we're gonna have a lot of learning and perhaps some difficult days ahead but we'll we'll give it our best shot 
What would be the one thing, if you could wave a magic wand, that you need to to improve in Irish cricket? The one thing, the main, the main thing is the facilities issue. Uh, we have a couple of indoors that we don't own so we were reliant on sort of booking times and stuff like that outdoor nets facilities are absolutely non-existent so in terms of uh, grass wickets which sounds again ridiculous to, to anyone involved in county cricket so I could ring up Sussex and get a coach in a grass wicket any day any day of the week obviously dependent on the weather but but over here you know it's it's very very it's you're completely reliant on club's goodwill to to sort you out and that, and obviously that doesn't that there's nothing high performance about that you know to get into performance speak so you know we've got to get to the stage where we have our own facilities which is being which is happening now but obviously it takes as you know it takes a, a while for grass facilities to bed in and um you know so that's happening in the sort of national sports campus so we'll have an area there but that's going to be a couple of years down the line so that's probably the biggest thing the the, the pitches improvement uh, the, the and the general practice facilities that are available to us you know is obviously hugely important well it's going to be quite a tall order i think for ed joyce and his irish colleagues to be facing the england bowlers having not had that much county experience certainly in ed joyce's case this summer, just playing a couple of club games on club wickets. It won't be easy dealing with the likes of Plunkett, Mark Wood, maybe. I do like one player in the Irish side. I've, I've followed him quite a bit, actually, over the last couple of years or so. Paul Sterling. He's been playing for Middlesex as well. He's got a lot of talent. He hasn't quite ever really cemented his his place in the team, or at least his his role in the team. He tends to go out to open and, and set off a look at, like a bull at a gate and then get out early. But, God, he's got some talent. He can really hit the ball, and he's got fantastic touch. He really, against any pace bowling, he just goes for these shots through the offside with the most beautiful natural timing. He is a bit fallible, but he's quite exciting. Well, he's one of the younger breed of bats and one of the few uh, who is under 30 actually only 26 years of age you can see what sort of pitch they come up with mm. in Bristol when you think of Bristol you normally think of sort of slow low yeah and a pitch that might suit uh, Ireland's type of bowling but there is one pitch down there which they have used in the past for, for one day internationals which which flies through so I, I know which sort of pitch England would prefer I think yeah it'd be interesting to see how Tim Murta goes as well actually because He's such a, an effective bowler early season, but with a white ball on a flat pitch with short boundaries, mm. I don't know. He's, he's set his heart on trying to play for Ireland when they eventually do get test status in a year or two. But I think one day cricket, I think maybe the England batsman might take him. One little fact that the Irish might uh, uh, quite enjoy is that in both these one-day internationals, there'll be more players born in Ireland <laughs> than there will on the field born in England. <laughs> well, it's often the way with uh, international cricket these days, isn't it? You've got to check those birth certificates out and those passports out. Now, bank holiday. Um, what have we been doing on bank holiday? There's all sorts of ways, isn't there, of uh, experiencing this great game of ours? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I thought I'd just put you through the, the, the paces of the... Star, we call it Starfield Cricket, my local road, uh, backyard cricket, not much space. But in a way, I quite like exploring how you can survive in a very small space with a tennis ball spun underarm. A bit old-fashioned, isn't mm. it, like the, the 1780s with underarm yeah. spin and things like that. Well, how, how did you go, do you think? <laughs> well, I think I got cleaned up by your daughter, third ball. 
Um, so not that well. I think it's quite, the answer. quite tricky. It looks it looks easy, doesn't it? But with with all the sort of special rules, with the slip cradle produced at, at, at short leg and the one hand one bounce and the spin and stuff, and people a yard away as catchers, it's it's not easy. Anyway, if you want to see a, a video of the action of Starfield cricket, where is it? It's on Facebook Live uh, at the Cricket Analyst, so you can look at. How Simon Mann got on. <laughs> it's, uh, it's a horror movie, actually. There we go. Simon Mann on strike. Nancy to bowl. And goes oh, for the reverse sweep. Didn't actually uh, come off too well, but he survived. Second one. All oh, powerful on off drive. Oh. Inside out. Nancy just over-pitching a tiny bit. And, oh, he spun back and just missed the leg stub. He didn't read the adjustment of the spin there. Oh, and he's in the wicket and he's bowled. So he's gone. He's only lasted four balls. Coming up, we're going to talk about captaincy. Now, in this second half, we're going to talk about captaincy and the difficulties of adjusting between formats. And actually, counties now often change their captain between formats. As this is uh, supported by Royal London, we're going to do a Royal London Player of the Week each week, and there's not much doubt who it is this week. No, and, and it shows how difficult captaincy yeah. is too. Well, that's that's right. I mean, even the most experienced captain, it can it can go horribly wrong, can't it? I think of Gareth Batty down there at the Taunton on Friday. Sorry, looked to be strolling to to victory in the match against Somerset, two ninety on the board. Somerset twenty two for five, and then two and a half hours later, they'd been ruled off Van der Merved, hadn't they? I mean, truly magnificent innings. Uh, we talked about that innings from uh, Kevin O'Brien earlier uh, for, for Ireland against England as being one of the great one-day innings. I think for Somerset it was probably one of the, the great one-day innings, especially when you, can, you know, think they've had players like Biff Richards playing for them over yeah. the years, who was a fantastic Martin Crow, Martin Crow yeah. uh, in both of them. But 165, not out. Definitely our player of the week. Mind you, having said that, I mean, I was at Lord's uh, yesterday and I saw a remarkable game there as well. It's almost like, you know, anything Somerset can do, West Country rivals Gloucestershire can do as well because uh, Cobain and Benny Howell did something similar. 63 for five, chasing 250, and they won with five balls to spare. And Benny Howell, some of his six-hitting was absolutely incredible. Hit one of the biggest sixes I think I've ever seen at Lords. He almost knocked Father Time's head off <laughs> between the grandstand and the, and the tavern. I thought he hit it out the ground actually, but um, there was a, a chap who was right on the top balcony. He seemed to re- manage to retrieve the ball and, and chuck it back. It was a huge blow. Well, he was reaping the benefits of attending the Power Hitting Academy. Julian Wood, the ex. Hampshire player who now works at Bradfield College doing exactly that, working on batsmen's ability to hit the ball miles, and Benny Howe's been up there a lot. Uh, he ties batsmen to a sort of bungee, and he gives them extra heavy bats and extra heavy balls to hit. So uh, Benny Howe was certainly uh, making use of that that skill. Definitely Roller van der Merber is our Royal London Player of the Week. Do you know what his highest score in a one-day international for South Africa was? No. Twelve. So you're not really expecting a guy to come in at number seven, even in county cricket, and suddenly get 165 in a one-day game. Of course, he did that. And the, the player that, that we're going to talk to now, who looks at the art of captaincy and the difficulties of captaincy in county cricket now, the pressure's on them, he certainly admits, and it's Alex Stewart, he's now the director of cricket at Surrey, he admits that there really was nothing much they could have done about the Demerver innings. It was one of those innings which you will remember for a long time. Uh, yes, I could say for the wrong reasons, because it was an innings that meant Surrey lost. But at the same time, you've got to appreciate when you see 
a really, really top-class innings. You know, the lad came in, Somerset difficult position at 22 for five, um, but everything he touched went for four or six. So people might say, well, you know, was it bad bowling? Yeah, we could have bowled better, but I'll tell you what, he won't bat any better. So at the end of the game, you shake his hand and you salute him and say, listen, that was quite outstanding, well done. One of the uh, big features of the Cricketer Magazine's next issue, or the issue out now, is looking at who were the finest county captains of all time. The The interesting thing is that all these captains were from a, a previous era, in a way, where generally they had time to captain a team. They were there for five, six, seven years. And now, obviously, captains you know, tend to change much more often. So can you put into perspective how county captaincy has changed from, say, when you did it to now? The expectation now of winning is far greater than it was back in the day. Uh, whether it's perhaps getting a little bit more with that football mentality where, as you've said there, some of the captains you've named, captain for five years, ten years, even longer. Whereas now, if you go a couple of years without winning things, then the chairman, the chief execs at certain clubs want change. And it is almost following, say, that the football trend of, well, if we haven't won something now, let's get someone else in to see if they can have an influence and a better influence. So that is where you need strong leadership uh, up above to ensure that they understand what plans are being put in place to try and to create uh, success. Um, and that is why I say I think the, the names you've just listed there, from the modern era, they'll be few and far between because a lot of those were the better players at the clubs um, and would go on to play for England. Whereas nowadays, if you're one of the better players and perceived as perhaps a future captain, you won't captain your county because you'll be involved with England so much that instead of being a, say, Surrey and England player, you now become an England and Surrey player. And Joe Root, for example, um, is a good example of what happens now in a modern game. He's going to captain England, uh, he's been appointed England test captain, yet he's captain Yorkshire twice, I think it is. So, whereas previously you'd gain experience with a captain in the second team, then you'd captain the Surrey first team or a county first team. You'd have senior players alongside you to help you along the way. Nowadays, those types of players go straight into the England setup, and they don't have that learning curve um, in county cricket, and therefore the turnover of captains becomes greater and greater. What about your captaincy experience um, when you were at Surrey? What kind of um, responsibilities did you have? Well, we had great... Again, I'd suggest captains back then had greater responsibilities. Nowadays, we have directors of cricket. We, we've always had coaches. Um, but the captain's voice was generally the strongest voice. Back in the day in county cricket, you'll have experienced that, say, with a Mike Brearley or a Mike Gatting at Middlesex. Whereas now, um, it's generally director of cricket stroke, head coach and the captain. The captain is in charge, very much on the field. But again, back in the day, the captain would be involved in the shaping of the squad. Uh, at times, they'd sit in uh, cricket committees. They'd attend cricket general cricket committee meetings. They would have a big influence on who gets a contract, who doesn't get a contract. Whereas nowadays, that responsibility is taken away from the captain uh, more and more, so that the captain can concentrate more on with on the field stuff also allows him to concentrate on his own game um, but 
he will still have, certainly at our club, he will still have the strongest say on the final 11. He will be a part of uh, a selection process when we pick a squad of 13 players perhaps for a game. But then he will be the loudest voice when it comes to the final 11 that walk onto the field. And I think that's the right way, to be honest. So uh, I was that's, that sort of preempted my next question, which is, uh, is the modern director of cricket, like you, almost the captain, but you're saying, well, kind of half, no, definitely but, but definitely not on the field? Definitely not. No, it's vitally important that the captain is um, the boss when it comes to on-field stuff. Um, because he's out there, he knows what's going on, he has a real feel for the dressing room, uh, and he has a feel for how the individual players are out in, in the middle, whereas when the head coach, um, or director of cricket, or both, are just observing from the outside, you won't always get a true picture. So the relationship uh, and the trust between the two or three people uh, and positions has to be very, very good. Um, and everyone understands their roles and which lines they stay one side of and which lines they certainly don't cross. Well, that's Alex Stewart, former England captain and now director of cricket at Surrey. So you've, you've played lots of first-class cricket. What, what, what made a good captain as far as you're concerned? Or what makes a good captain as far as you're concerned? Well, I think ideas and detail and observation are the things that really made someone like Mike Brearley stand out. Having the, the guts and courage to try things when something's not quite going your way, having ideas of your own, but also being open-minded to other people coming up with ideas, having the courage of your convictions, and I suppose ultimately, because you're looking after 10 other players, trying to work out the best way of motivating those other players. So someone like Mike Brearley, for instance, if it was, say, me, who needed to kick up the arse, then, you know, he'd give you a bollocking. But someone like Wayne Daniel, a very fast bowler from the West Indies who needed more careful persuasion to get another serious over out of, uh, he would sort of come up with something like, well, I'll introduce you to the barmaid with the big you know, chest in the, in the bar afterwards if you give us two more overs. So I, perhaps those are t- slightly extreme examples, but it was about finding out what made each player motivated that bit extra to get that maximum... Out of them, and if we look at the uh, the players, the county captains that the Cricketer magazine has featured this month, we've done a, a spread of readers' favourite ever county captains of all time, the best ten county captains of all time. They range from Lord Hawke from uh, Yorkshire, who was actually born in Lincolnshire, and he's always um, you know talked about as one of the greatest captains of all time. He captained Yorkshire in almost five hundred games. Which just shows how, you know how longevity was important in those days. Stuart Surridge, of course, won five county championships with Surrey in the 1950s. We've got Colin Ingleby Mackenzie, who was a great charismatic leader of uh, Hampshire in the 1960s. Another one I like is Keith Fletcher, yeah. and Keith Fletcher. When I talk about detail, he was he had this sort of photographic memory of batsmen, and he knew exactly where to put the fielders. He'd have a, a leg slip for somebody who liked flicking it off his pads. Nobody else put leg slips in, and the batsman who would come into bat and suddenly find a leg slip was sort of slightly put off by that. He had this real forensic knowledge of every batsman's strengths and weaknesses and used the fielders and the, the bowlers uh, at Essex to, to undermine that. Very, very clever. We've got also Adam Hollyoak in there, who was a, a very sort of strong, forceful, charismatic leader of, of Surrey. So yeah, I think those captains needed 
courage of their convictions, uh, a little bit of imagination, very good man management skills, and great knowledge of detail and passion. Did you ever play games against another side? You thought, well, oh, their captain's just not on this at all. He's just not, he's just not with the game. He's just not good enough. Did, did, you, did you sense a weakness in an opposition captain, or did you, does that not really happen? I think that, that actually you see that quite a lot now, I think, because captains are chosen almost because they're the best player in the team or they're the player that's most likely to be in that team for the whole season. and So, so they're not they're, necessarily the best captain. They're, they're chosen by default almost. Yeah. And I think they, they don't have that hold over uh, the opposition, that kind of mercurial touch, in a way, that those older captains have, partly because they just haven't done the job for long enough. And also maybe they didn't have that, that, uh, that ability, that in, innate skill of undermining a, a player, which I think many of those sort of ancient captains, if you like, did have. I mean, I remember Mike Brearley captaining against Derbyshire once, and Peter Kirsten, who was a fantastic player for South Africa, who made 60 in this game, and he just said, I thought Mike Brearley was ahead of me every step of the way. Yeah. And he did get 60, but he, on a flat wicket, he probably should have got 200, really. And he just said, I felt Brearley's presence around me all the time, just trying things. Michael Vaughan, you know, fantastic. All right, didn't captain New Yorkshire, really, but, you know, captaining England, you could feel his presence at all times, couldn't you? Keeping calm, but always keeping active mind-wise to try and bring things in and undermine the opposition. One of the slightly surprising names on your list might be David Boone at at Durham. Yes. Uh, How how does he fit in? Well, I think he he had so much uh, impact on Durham... I played for Durham those first two years and we were terrible. We came bottom of the table both years. And it put Durham on the map, but almost in the wrong way. It was entertaining, but ultimately pretty hapless, actually. What Boone did, he got them together and, you know, crystallised some desire, some, some new players... A, a, you know, a way forward, and he really led from the front. So, force of personality and a clear plan as well. I think so, and and just his total commitment to the campaign to try and get Durham off the bottom of the table and competing for honours. You know, which they did in the end under him. They didn't actually win the championship, but they certainly got close. And it, it, I think he just gave them a robustness and a self belief which Durham had lacked before. Mm. Can you think of the, the the best piece of captaincy that you've come across? You know, just one moment, I always think of that story in Mike Brady's book of the art of captaincy, where they put the helmet at mid-wicket yeah. to try to get the batsman to play across the line against the spinners. You know, when the game was moving towards a draw, I always thought that you know that it's that sort of invention I think that, that captures the imagination. Of course, it's been outlawed now, hasn't it? You can't you can't do that anymore. You have to put it behind the wicketkeeper. But that, again, that was an example of a captain sort of thinking, being ahead of of the game. I, I suppose the the, the the one I can just think of it, uh, on the top of my head was that second test in the two thousand and five Ashes at Edgbaston when uh, England scrambled 407 in a day, incredible performance, really, after being beaten at Lords, And then for the first over, when England bowled, Hoggard was bowling, and Vaughan put a short extra in to Matthew Hayden, who was a very sort of, you know, look-at-me kind of batsman. I'm going to bash you all over the place. And they put a short extra man in sort of on the drive and he hit the ball straight at him straight straight away Uh, so so that was a a fantastic little bit of one-upmanship for England a completely out of the blue fielding position with the new ball against a batsman who you'd think would be hitting it on the up over the top or through the offside and it completely 
destabilised him and England went on to win that test match and of course win the series yeah almost getting the batsman to think why is he why is he put a man there and that's the art of captaincy yeah. isn't it trying to put the batsman off his game when you're in the field should we finish with our highlight low light um, I'm, well I sort of alluded to my highlight of the week actually I think it was that that six that Benny Howell hit off Ryan Higgins of, of Middlesex that nearly knocked Father Time's head off. There was a gasp. I was sitting out in the Edrich stand at the time, on the top tier of the Edrich stand. There was a gasp as he hit as he hit the shot. It was just, just went so far. Probably the biggest hit I've ever seen at Lords. You've probably seen bigger, but it was, it was the biggest I've ever seen. Well, my low light, I'm afraid, is your batting. Oh, thanks very much. Thank you. That that was. I mean, it was absolutely pitiful. How long did you last? I, Three balls. One of them. I'd rather give credit. I'd rather give credit to the bowler, your offspring, Nancy. It was a superb delivery. Well, you can, you can watch it as well. See how good you think it was. Yeah, watch it on the the cricket analyst Facebook live site. Um, your batting. You can laugh better. Actually, no, it wasn't really. No, it's true. And I, I never make a run in that competition. Starfield cricket is not the way forward for me or you. No. Good fun, though. I hope you enjoyed uh, this podcast. We'll speak to you again next week. Thanks for listening. Sports Social Podcast Network.